The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today's episode of Disability Matters has been previously recorded. Please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. And before we get started, a special shout-out to my dear friend, Yoshiko. Dart, Yoshiko, thank you for how you are so supportive. We love you. Everyone loves you. Lead on. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. And I thank you so much for your continued support. And I also have to thank our sponsors, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield and Covestro Corporation. So appreciate you sponsoring this show. And it has taken off, no doubt about that. This is our 11th year, and it's because of the great listeners that this show has just become so large with such a great following. Um, And thank you for helping me bring disability to light through this radio show. So today we have one of these people that when I talk to young people with disabilities and say, do you know our disability history? Because this really infuriates me that, you know, every other group, everyone knows the history, but this group does not teach the history to the young people enough. Well, I should say society, education, the whole system, but this is one of those people you should know because Bob Kafka, Kafka is one of the most revered disability advocates. I really doubt you could talk to anyone that's in the know in the disability community and talk about Bob and him not know who you're talking about because of his incredible diehard commitment to the disability community. Uh, it is such a great honor for me to have from ADAPT, Bob, welcome to the show. Uh, Joyce, after that introduction, uh, you know, I think I'll hire you as my agent, really. (laughs) Uh, That's quite an intro, but uh, thank you for it. Well, and don't don't you agree with me, though, Bob, that in this country, uh, you know, that it's really lagging in teaching the history of the disability community other than maybe... July 25th was the signing of the ADA. Oh, I totally reinforce what you're saying. Let me tell you just a quick story, because quite a few years ago, uh, when the uh, Constitution of the United States was 200 years old, I sent away for one of those coffee table books about the Constitution. Coming through it, I looked at this picture, and there was this picture of a, a, a man with a wooden leg, and it was a gentleman, Governor Morris, he was uh, from Pennsylvania, and he's attributed to have written the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, the We the People. 
And so I sent it all around. I thought everybody would be jumping up and down, excited about, you know, wow, a person with a disability, you know, actually wrote the preamble to the United States. And it just pretty much just laid there. Uh, nobody got really excited about it. And, you know, even though that's just one illustration, uh, I really believe that, you know, young people, you know, they want to, you know, find their own identity. And so not only, uh, you know, hear about, you know, old folks like myself, but, you know, again, you know, you have to know where we came from in terms of, you know, the grassroots organizations that evolved into the independent living movement, the families and children movement, uh, the, the role of disabled veterans bringing us along, and, you know, the National Federation of the Blind being one of the first disability, national disability organizations. So, uh, so many people just don't realize uh, how that got going. Um, and so, uh, I I, you know, most people have heard of Justin Dott. Most people, you know, will quote Ed Roberts, uh, maybe Judy Human, but it pretty well goes downhill from there. And so, um, and then all the people we've never, you know, ever hear about, all this state and local disability advocates that have really brought us to where we are today. Yeah. People or people like Judy Chamberlain, um, you, you know, you're so right. And here's what has me totally frustrated is that for 15 years now, I do volunteer work in three schools in Pittsburgh and one in Delaware where I teach high school students with disabilities about leadership, the world of work, and about, you know, the disability community. And when I first go in, I'll say, all right, who knows who Justin Dart is? And 99% of the time, no one knows. Right. And I'm meaning, yeah. uh, you know, every other, uh, of course, protected class group has their history and knows their history. And it's just so sad that it's, you know, that I don't know. What's the, do you have any ideas what we could do, or do you think it's just the school systems? I mean, what do you think? Well, I think it's, it's, it's the difficulty we have in conveying, uh, like, the concept of disability pride. You know, disability is still, after years, still seen in sort of the medical definition that we're broken. I mean, sometimes disability rights leaders, you know, you know, talk to themselves and don't realize that the general public is still seeing, you know, those poor people with disabilities, even though in the media and TV more and more uh, illustrations of the integration of people with disabilities. But, you know, overall, you know, we're still building that disability pride that really, I think, as other movements, you know, have to go through, you know, in terms of black pride, women's pride, Latino, gay, lesbian, you know, all those various different movements that we sort of model after. Um, again, and the other difficulty we have is, you know, our the strength of us is the different types of disabilities uh, but sometimes all those very identities sort of stop 
the recognition of the movement of people with disabilities uh, because, you know, we have so much invested in our, you know, own identity, our own disability labels that coalesce, you know, Section 504, the Rehabilitation Act, the ADA, you know, uh, are really monuments to trying to build that sort of, you know, rights concept rather than uh, disability label. But, you know, again, um, though we use the civil rights analogy, I would, I would think we're still at the level of the abolitionist movement. You know, again, it's, you know, we're still moving, you know, at the expression, we've come a long way, baby. Well, we still have a long way to go in terms of truly seeing and some of the, the promises that the Americans with Disabilities Act has brought and very much so the ADA is a piece of paper and our grassroots have to implement the, the concept of community integration and it's a lot to that really nuts and bolts of bringing about true community integration uh, rather than just talking about the ADA. Um, you know, I, different than many people, was appalled at the little attention the 25th anniversary got from this current administration. Let me just give you one thing, which I could not believe that during, you know, the president's speech, he didn't announce one new initiative to bring about people with disabilities. I mean, every, everything he said was great. He talked all the platitudes about how we needed to integrate and people with disabilities needed to get jobs and be part and families need to support. But it wasn't one, you know, policy to integrate us, not one thing to integrate us through the Olmstead decision, nothing substantive. Uh, and I think that is part and parcel of really our, our need to keep pushing to really speak out when we feel, you know, we're not being uh, respected, I think we need to speak out, you know, very aggressively. And, you know, still um, that is, is something that I think we're still working on and grassroots groups like ADAPT, you know, are basically demanding that respect rather than just asking for it. Um, so, again, I, I don't know if that's all the, the, uh, the reasons but, um, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that, you know, we're going to continue because we have some new young leaders. It's just a matter of we have to keep building at the grassroots level. Yes, right. Well, um, I, I, I hate to say this, but I do think that we're still viewed, just as you said, as that medical model, here's why. I think when you say to people disability pride th that are non-disabled, it's like, how could you ever have pride in having a disability? Do you know what I mean? That's how, that's how I think a lot of people see that. They can't put this, they can't in their mind put this together because they still think, as you said, you need cured or you need fixed or something's wrong with you. Why would you be proud about that? And that's where we have to move. We have to move to where it is, as you said, a community where people, we, 
have pride. The disability community has pride, um, or, or we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to get anywhere. But I want to talk more give you... about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! I just want to give you one more illustration. It was really, um, you know, I'm a member of the Texas. I was of the Texas Paralyzed Veterans, and so every year we, you know, donated gifts to the Children's Hospital. So um, one year I said, you know, why don't we have a wheelchair Santa Claus go over there and deliver the gifts? So, you know, I opened up my big mouth, and I had a white beard, um, and they said, okay, Bob, why don't you do it? So I got myself a Santa Claus suit and put on the hat and went over there, and I went into the, uh, the place where the children were going to be brought in, and this child life specialist uh, comes up to me and looks at me and looks at my wheelchair, and she said, you're not going to stay in that, are you? Oh. And I said, why? You know, yeah, I mean, this is what I use for mobility. And she said, we don't want to depress the children, do we? Oh. Again, my first reaction was to wring her neck, um, but, you know, I was there for the kids, and, you know, I said, well, ma'am, I think the children will see just the gifts, and really, you know, the wheelchair will, will only be sort of a, a an attachment and that the gifts are, are really what will be there. And, of course, you know, um, you know the, the kids were excited. There was a bit of sign language, and she sort of, you know, really, you know, appreciated that. And when I left, <clears throat> you know, I had talked a lot about, you know, disability discrimination and everything, but I literally started to shake when I was driving home because even though you talk about discrimination, when you confront it that directly and also you, you think about that child life specialist, that was the badge she was, and the, the, the message that she's conveying to children. So, you, you know, you wonder why disability pride sometimes is difficult to, um, you know, in, in joining us. So, <clears throat> but again, that that is just, you know, some negatives, but, you know, I, there are many, many things that have shown the advancement of people with disabilities, and so um, I'm one that likes to keep focusing on the positive. How many years ago was that? <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, probably it was in the early 80s. Wow. Uh, it was before the ADA, but not... Wow. You know, yeah, but that's you know. just, that is exactly, uh, you know, what you're talking about. That is sad but powerful. But right. with that, hey, we're going to go to break, and then we'll be right back with Bob Kavka from ADAPT, National Disability Leader. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you just joined us, we're talking to Bob Kafka, who is a really, really powerful disability rights leader with ADAPT. It's such an honor to have him with us. And before we went to break, we were talking about disability pride and history and, you know, getting involved. And a question that I wanted to ask you, going back to what you were talking about, is your opinion on something that happens to me all the time. And that, as you know, my company focuses on finding employment for people with disabilities. So I will go speak at a large corporation, and they start talking about their uh, employment resource group. And almost 90% of the time, they'll say, you know, the abilities group, the differing abilities group, the 
I know this is hard to believe, but the handicapable group, mm-hmm. they will not say disability. They will stay instead because we're taking the dis out of ability, disability. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, you know, just so you know this, it is you that it, you are the ones changing the name of our group. You are. Not us. You're making that decision. And then when you go say, oh, and we're not going to discriminate against people with disabilities, but you're already meaning this is a negative term. Um, And, I mean, I run into this so much that I called uh, a disability rights leader, and Andy Imperato, and said, hey, we need blogs about this. We need the disability community to speak out about this because I said to one group, is it called the Americans with Differing Abilities Act? And by the way, differing abilities, what does that mean? That means I could be a scientist, I could be an accountant. You know, where does this come from? And I wanted to know your opinion about that. Well, I think it comes back to, again, you know, the, the building of what, you know, is the disability pride in terms of, you know, when I first got involved, you know, the, the main theme was we're just like everybody else. And, you know, for, you know, for years I, I wondered, I mean, you know, everybody else doesn't use a wheelchair. Everybody else doesn't, you know, pee in a bag on their leg. You know, again, you know, we, we have tried to hide the fact that, you know, we should own our disabilities. We should, you know, build on that, build the skills and necessity uh, necessary skills to, to get employment, to, you know, to get educated and to become part of the community, but not at the expense of the disability pride aspect of it, but in addition to our, our disabilities. You know, again, you know, you don't see people, African Americans, apologizing, you know, or saying we're exactly like everybody else. I mean, every movement has gone through this pride, and it really does carry over into the employment realm because, you know, again, because of sometimes the sort of medical broken type things that we spoke about before, you know, people with disabilities don't actually think they can, you know, integrate into, you know, integrated employment. And, you know, again, and there's the difference between, you know, people born with their disabilities and those that acquired. I broke my neck at age 27 uh, in a car wreck, and so definitely I did not go through the sort of, you know, having a parent who might be really nervous about letting me out of the house as a disabled child, you know, to to basically not participating in the same things that other kids participated in. You know, we're moving to a better integrated system but, you know, all these things are kind of linked. It's not like you automatically get a job, you know, without thinking about all the things that have built the ability. You know, integrated, inclusive education, you know, is so important. I mean, we're battling, you know, the, you know, sub-minimum wage. So many people, you know, that have, you know, can participate in integrated uh, employment. You know, those battles that, uh, you know, continue in terms of employment. You know, and it's really ironic 
of 25 years after the ADA, if you have to pick one thing that is the least uh, accomplishment in those 25 years, it's our unemployment rate. You know, and I think we're recognizing very much like the uh, civil rights movement. You know, rights get you and move people who can, you know, you break down some barriers. But unless there's some skill development part, you know, when, before Martin Luther King was assassinated, you know, the Poor People's March was becoming more and more the, the focus. You know, he, he first talked about the Civil Rights Act, then the Voting Rights Act. But, you know, he recognized that, yes, you know, we break down blatant discrimination. We, we go to the, the, the voting booth. But then what about the skills when you have, you know, education uh, that is subpar in the community? And we still have a tiered system in, in the civil rights movements, and it's very much the same in the disability world. You know, I would say that, you know, people have benefited a great deal from the passage of the ADA, but we still have, you know, thousands if not millions of people with disabilities that need the education skill training to, so that, that they can participate in integrated employment. And so that's still the battle that we're fighting in terms of, you know, adequate education, you know, job jobs that are meaningful and pay well, you know, the insurance uh, protections that the Affordable Care Act is giving some of us in terms of pre-existing conditions, um, but it's still not, you know, in turn adequate, you know, after the 25-year anniversary. And, Bob, why do you think that uh, people with disabilities or young people with disabilities, why do you think they are not integrated into education to acquire the skills? Why do you think that is? Well, you know, again, uh, I, I do know that, you know, there, there are family groups and others that are working, uh, you know, to, to long after the uh, uh, inclusive education idea uh, passed and uh, all the attempts. But it's still, you know, sometimes we don't keep as much focus on that than we should. You know, a lot of folks, you know, are very much, they'll focus on getting, you know, government jobs and, and getting people with disabilities hired in the various different, that's real important, but we, you know, some of the adult disability rights groups should work with parents groups and, you know, put that on the agenda so that from the very beginning, you know, my nephew was born with spina bifida and it's really an interesting story because he, he was the success story. You know, he, you know, born in New Jersey, went to a regular elementary school, uh, went to a regular uh, high school, went to the University of Illinois, actually played basketball as the Giz kids. You know, when he graduated, he first sold vans for Braun. Uh, now he works for Merrill Lynch. Now, you know, I'm his uncle, and I've been involved with disability rights. He basically, though he's very supportive, himself is moving just through the system, uh, and that's, you know, what we want. But we need to start bringing along, you know, more people like my nephew. But in addition, we need to also work with people with cognitive, people with mental health, uh, multiple disabilities. And that's, 
that's really the next, you know, sort of plateau we have to start working on. Those are the people, you know, that are now coming into the independent living centers. You know, many many of the gains through the ADA, people are 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 getting jobs, uh, but we we need to work and not just leave, you know, our brothers and sisters, some with speech disabilities, some with cognitive mental health, you know, sensory disabilities, you know, those things that, you know, people can more than, you know, become gainfully employed, but sometimes we, we, we kind of lose the focus that's necessary to bring along all people with disabilities. Yes. Yeah, I start, uh, my company, well, first of all, as everyone knows listening to the show, I'm a woman living with epilepsy and a hearing loss on my right side from the accident I had. But when I started Bender Consulting Services 21 years ago, I had no idea how perseverant I would have to be for such a long time period just to get one person hired. Um, and, and now, since Section 503 of the Rehab Act, you know, for the first time, companies are calling me. I'm not having to go out and beat the drum, you know, the way I did before. I mean, I still do, but before it was months to get someone to just, you know, want to interview someone. And now they're calling me, but now that I go meet with them, I cannot believe how uninformed they are and how fearful they are and how they're thinking the person won't be able to perform well. I mean, you know, you're, I'm really seeing directly just how far back it really is. Uh, and it, it is really sometimes shocking to me, but then on the other hand, you know, it shouldn't be because we have such a high unemployment and, you know, you have 70% of people not even part of the workforce. So, Unemployment and education, that definitely goes hand in hand. Yeah, and there's a whole building process. You know, one of the things, you know, that started with, uh, you know, accessible mainline transportation. And even though, you know, that wasn't everybody's issue, what's amazing about it is that once you start, you know, moving people out of institutions, okay, then you realize you know, if you have a mobility disability that, you know, you can't get off the sidewalk. And then so you start needing to talk about curb cuts. And then when you start being able to go places, you realize that, you know, the the, the public transportation entities are not accessible. So that moves you to start, you know, advocating for more, you know, accessible integrated uh, transportation. And then that brings you to the public accommodations. And, you know, it's it's sort of like, we have to continue that building so that people with disabilities, you know, are, you know, demanding that they are able to use all the, you know, the communities uh, has to offer. And so that's why, you know, sometimes it's not just, you know, the passage of, of broad civil rights acts, but it's also just what we do in our local communities to start integrating people so that they can participate. Because what happens is that, you know, education workshops on, you know, people with disabilities are fine, but really where, you know, you're going to change the public's attitude is just by interacting people in every day. 
you know, to participate, you know, going to their religious preference, to going to, you know, various sporting events, you know, integrating through, you know, whatever arts or culture that they want to participate in. And, you know, that, you know, those folks that, that fought, you know, for the ADA knew that that was just sort of, you know, a foundation and we needed to build on that. And that's really one of the things that, you know, as I now I just turned 70 years old, you know, last month. And so, you know, I realized, right. And so I just turned 70 years old uh, in February. And I, you know, I just realized that, you know, we need to bring along new young leaders to build the grassroots. You know, it's really important, obviously, to bring, you know, folks into the community, but it's also necessary to keep the grassroots organizations that, you know, brought us to where we are. Because, again, you know, uh, my involvement with ADAPT, you know, really came out of, you know, some of the concerns that the independent living centers weren't doing aggressive advocacy. And so, you know, I always think of sometimes that the ADAPT advocacy was sort of some of the advocacy we thought we were going to get, you know, when many of the old disability organizations morphed into centers. But again, you know, since they get government money and there's all the the bureaucracy, you know, they do wonderful things, but, you know, again, we need to keep outside advocacy groups. And that's that's really what has kept me, you know, involved with ADAPT for all these years because I think it's so necessary to continue building grassroots organizations. Granted, you know, the technology, social media, all those things, but, you know, community organizing is essential. You know, I'm a sports fan, and, you know, what wins basketball games is defense and free throws. And so you just go back to basics, and community organizing is very simple. You know, many people talk about how social media was the Arab Spring. But, you know, the question I ask, it wasn't so much, you know, how those million people got into Tahrir Square. I wondered, where did the bathrooms come from? Who got the food? Who, you know, built the sort of signs that were out there? Those are the kind of things that you know, community organizing. Social media just gives you an opportunity, but at some point, people have to come together and to demand whatever, you know, changes they want. And that's really, I think, can only come from grassroots organizations. And you just pick your issue. You know, it might be employment. It could be attendance services. It could be education. You know, whatever. You pick the issue. But unless there's some grassroots groups pushing that, you know, I really, I really think that we're always going to be behind those. Yeah. You know, yes. have the power. Yeah, I, I agree with you. <clears throat> and you know, um, I just came back from South Korea. I went representing through the U.S. State Department. The embassy in South Korea had all these requests for someone to go there and speak about employment, which is, of course, what I do. Um, and so I was there for a week, and I met with all the disability rights groups. And, of course, they are <clears throat> where we were before the ADA. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, of course, 
unemployment's the biggest problem. But there also are not laws that are enforced. And, I mean, it's some terrible things like you can pay people with disabilities less than you pay, um, you know, other people and women with disabilities less than them. And very, and you can say on an interview, you know, about your disability and so many people in poverty, and I could go on and on. But, you know, they have the sheltered workshops. And I thought, wow, isn't this just like how it has always been and what now today we're fighting for, which is eliminating this subminimum pay, which, you know, that's a big thing to me, and I have no idea why. You know what it reminds me of? People used to say, wow, during the Civil War area, you know, those people that owned those mansions in the South, they were really wealthy. And I'll say, well, yeah, they were. They had slaves during the work for free. Of course they would be wealthy. And uh, it's the same thing here. I know you know very well that there are people involved, companies, I mean, that, you know, use their services, and even people at the top that are benefiting from this financially while the people with disabilities are not. Um, and, right. you know, I, I, just, I just think that's such an outrage. You know, I, because of the Olmstead Act, we're starting to see uh, movement. But, you know, this is what I always hear, the parent groups. What are you going to do? Throw my son or daughter out in the street? You know, they won't have a job. They won't have any place to go. And, of course, I say, well, first of all, that isn't a job that the person has right now. Mm-hmm. That's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, daycare or something. But what do you think about that, Bob? Well, you know, I think about it as building blocks. You know, I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, you can't go to work if you can't get out of bed. You know, if you can't get the adequate supports and services. And I'm not just talking about, you know, people with physical. If you have a sensory and you need alternate formats. You know, one of the things, uh, and I don't know if it's conscious, but it's like breaking down the barriers at different levels so that, you know, you can focus on employment, which is, you know, what was, you know, one of the main, you know, movements of the independent living movement. But again, you know, the, the whole discrimination on pre-existing conditions, so, in, you know, you couldn't get insurance. You know, the, the fact of being able to get to a job on time, so that required making transportation accessible. Um, you know, so, and then, you know, where are you going to live? Accessible, affordable, integrated housing. So, you know, again, you know, employment is not just employment. It has, you have to build all these things at the same time that we're breaking down the sheltered employment, the sort of, you know, uh, sort of plantation mentality that you alluded to. But, again, unless we build all those other things, you know, we're always going to be frustrated at the end in terms of that. And, you know, you know it's really sort of, and I may or may not have many people agree with me, Back when health, education, and welfare existed and they split into the Department of Education and HHS was created, 
you know, I don't know if anybody ever asked, well, how come the developmental disability community went over to HHS and the independent living movement went over to the Department of Education? It was really because, you know, we had that same thing, a little bit of peer counseling, you know, a little advocacy, and we were going to get jobs and we were going to live happily ever after. And HHS was seen as welfare, paternalistic, the medical model. You know, so um, you know, over the years, you know, things have started to move towards each other. The independent living movement has just moved over to HHS. Uh, you know, the developmental disability community has done a lot of movement in terms of productivity, education uh, in the community. But, but again, you know, it, it leads me to, you know, where we're moving to get we are able to build those support networks so people that have the skills can get, you know, jobs, you know, that will allow them to at some point get off benefits. You know, we're trying to, you know, Medicaid buy-ins and things like that so people don't lose their services. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, end up with people with disabilities getting the jobs. It isn't just the job itself. It's all those kind of things that build so that the individual can get to work, can go to, you know, go back to a, a place that they can call their own. And, you know, that is a lot more complex than sometimes I think we break it down to. And then we have what you have so, you know, talked about over and over again, that blatant discrimination on top of all that that we have to cut through, uh, you know, and like I said, employment is still one of the promises of the ADA that has not been very well fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, I got a long way to go on that. Well, Bob, just changing gears for a moment, I have been so impressed with the work you have been doing regarding voting. As a matter of fact, if you would walk in my office, you would see the Rev Up sticker on my door, um, and you know... We've got to get, got to get the disability community out to vote. That is so critical that people vote. So I wanted you to talk about that since we have all these listeners about the importance of voting. Right. You know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, as working, you know, as an ADAPT organizer, you know, ADAPT does confrontational uh, direct action community organizing. And, you know, you know, sometimes anybody's cup of tea, you know, in terms of, and I, I really believe that direct action works, uh, that it really sort of brings us, you know, the issues to the forefront. But in addition to that, you know, there's that component that I realize that also once you get, you know, the uh, issue out there, you, you've highlighted it, how then do you get the policies that you want, not only at the national level, but at the state and local level? And so what got me involved um, in the voting was uh, our last election where we, uh, our attorney general, Greg Abbott, uh, paraplegic, was running for governor, and then Wendy Davis, who became, you know, sort of famous on her, uh, you know, abortion uh, issue, uh, so she became... You know, uh, it became a very stark um, 
election for, you know, Democrat, Republican, uh, and especially in Texas where we haven't elected a statewide Democrat for ni- since 1992. And so that's when we created the Rev Up campaign, and that stood for reg- Register, Educate, Vote, Use Our Power. And it became real clear that, you know, what candidates want to know is not only do we vote, but what they want to know is if I take a position on a disability issue, will you vote based on that disability position that I take? And, you know, we cross all different, Latino, African-American, Asian, gay, lesbian, pro-choice, pro-life, you know, there's a whole mix there. So what, you know, what the candidates want to know is, you know, is there such a thing as the disability vote? And we've, in the RevUp campaign, we've defined the disability vote sort of, we, we came up with this visual like the pebble in a pond. You know, the person with the disability is sort of at the center, the, the, the pebble, and then all the ripples are family members, advocates, professionals, providers, bureaucrats, all those have self-interest to have policies that benefit people with disabilities. And so that is the disability vote. And I, I, I really believe that, you know, getting out the vote is important, but I think even probably at this point, even more important is to convince candidates that they're a disability vote. And I'm, I'm excited Uh, The American Association of People with Disabilities, AAPD, is coordinating RevUp campaigns in in state by state. There's RevUp Texas, RevUp just came back from an event in Oklahoma, RevUp Massachusetts, Montana. Uh, It's a growing movement, and obviously we're all focused on November 8th, but I think what is even more important is that we build voting structures past November 8th so that we can start affecting not only the national, but we can start affecting the state and local events. Because think about it, you know, right now, you know, Congress is pretty much, you know, dysfunctional in terms of passing anything confrontational. So the real issues that are going to affect people with disabilities and their families is going to be at the state level. So unless we have a voting structure that can continue an ongoing register, educate people on the issues, and ability vote, I, only then do I think we're going to start having uh, more of an impact in terms of that. And it's exciting because the Rev Up campaign is also being integrated with all the other. It seems like everybody in the disability community has decided voting is the next evolution of the ADA 25, you know, uh, campaign that just celebrating the 25th anniversary. So um, if any of your listeners from around the country want information about, you know, the Rev Up campaign and would like to help organize something in their state, either contact me, myself here, I'm in, in Texas, or AAPD, uh, and there's a, a actual website. It's aapd.com backslash rev up. And so you can get information on 
some of the things that are going on around the country. And I love this campaign. And, you know, I'm on the board of AAPD, so I know, Bob, what you did, you know, working together to make this happen. And I think it is so powerful that I'm telling everyone about it because I tell people, you know, if you want to make change, you've got to vote. You've got to register to vote. And I don't even know how how do we get to people, you know, in nursing homes and other facilities. What happens there, Bob? Well, see, that's exactly why I think, you know, the, the Rev Up campaign is not just focused in November. See, if we can start building informal structures that can exist, then, you know, we can start thinking about, well, where can we get new uh, voters to register? Nursing homes are, you know, a perfect illustration. But, again, you know, many people with disabilities, like a lot of other people, you know, don't think voting has any uh, any possibility of bringing about changes. So if, if we have a structure that could start thinking about ways to outreach, ways to start doing voter registration campaigns ongoing, you know, again, you know, I, like I said, November 8th is extremely important in terms of, you know, the election uh, coming up. But I think the Rev Up campaign, I hope, will be able to, you know, build for the future. And if you think about it, you know, what has happened, you know, uh, the Latino community has an ongoing voter registration, the African-American community, the human rights campaign, and the gay lesbian. You know, all these have structures that outreach, you know, long before, you know, the national election, so they build on that. We're just starting now to do that. And the Rev Up campaign, you know, is not meant to supplant what people are doing. It's really meant to be more of a sort of a coordinated, more organic. You know, it's not like you have to do it any one way, you know, but if you can build uh, the National Disability Rights Network, they all the those uh, PNAs around the country have hava money about you know, your rights as a disabled voter. We're working here in Texas and uh, in other states, working very closely, the independent living movement, the mental health community, all working with, you know, protection and advocacy to start building loose informal coalitions focused on, on voting. And like I said, there's uh, ongoing discussions right now. The Rev Up campaign, like I said, is being coordinated through more of a, a information clearinghouse is the American Association of People with Disabilities. Well, Bob, you know what? I mean, I, I tell you, I could talk to you forever on this show, but I know we're soon going to end the show. And before we do that, um, ADAPT has become throughout the history of uh, our movement so important. But, of course, you need resources to move forward. So, if someone listening to the show wants to make a contribution to ADAPT, how do they do that? Well, two things if, before we end, because I, I think all the ADAPT people would actually string me up if I didn't mention our big push is the Disability Integration Act that was introduced by Senator Schumann, S-2427, that really is uh, you know, making some of the things we talked about as civil rights issues. So. Um, 
those of you that are interested in some of the issues that ADAPT's been pursuing, you know, the Disability Integration Act is something that, uh, you know, one should look at, and we hope that it would get grassroots support. If people want to either get involved in ADAPT and or give uh, financial uh, support, you know, if you go to the website, uh, www.adapt.org, there's a donation bud button, uh, and you can use PayPal. And again, you know, very, very much like Bernie Sanders, we're very grassroots, so any contribution would be very, very welcome. We just did our national fund run for disability rights. It was successful, uh, but we, we do need uh, funds to continue our grassroots effort. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm sort of a born-again adapter, and even though I've been involved since 1984, um, I just really get excited, you know, when new people get involved, when new people see that by really confronting authority, you know, changing the power relationship, you know, it, it just sort of makes very, very clear all the stuff that we hear about disability, pride, disability, um, you know, power, when you actually are participating and actually doing it and bringing about the changes that you're demanding. It's not just writing a a Twitter feed or a Facebook note, but it's actually being in the street confronting those that, you know, are holding us back and denying us our civil rights. Well, amen to that. And, you know, everyone, everyone should get involved. Young people, though, you've got to get involved. You've got to get involved. You've got to go to ADAPT. You've got to read, you know, everything they're talking about with policy, with this, uh, Schumann issue. Where do they read about that, Bob? Is that on the site? Yeah, the if you go to the Disability uh, Integration website. Act. Yeah, yeah, just look under the Disability Integration Act, and also if uh, on the on the issue of young people, uh, there's going to summit a youth training in Rochester, New York. Uh, this August, and again, if you go to the website, you'll find information of how to apply uh, for the ADAPT youth training, uh, you know, and, and youth is 18 to 30, so, um, but, you know, again, we are trying to replenish us uh, older folks that are, you know, um, definitely need the sort of energy of new people. All right. Well, that is a great opportunity. And, Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. All right. Thank you very much for having the opportunity. And, if, if you you know, I always thought that you were left because your right ear is deaf, so, you know, keep going left, Joyce. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That fits me. All right. Hey, listen, before we go, I end the show with a quote, and there's a quote that came out of the disability community long, long ago that I've always loved, so it just seems so appropriate when Bob's on, and that is label jars, not people with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 